The What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O Group and the host of the What to Know podcast. And I uh, have done a lot of very interesting podcasts over the last couple of days at the National um, Summit for Strategic Communications. But uh, I have the pleasure of sitting down with my CEO and now six-year colleague, founder of the firm W2O Group, Jim Weiss. Welcome, Jim. Thanks, Aaron. Glad to be here in Washington with you. Yeah, it's funny. So like, I have to find that getting over the barrier of treating you like a, you know, we have a pretty good rap. We've hung out together right. a bunch of times. Yeah, and, uh, we'll just say Manhattan and we're good. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what happens in Manhattan? Um, anyway, I, the reason we wanted to do this here, because obviously we sit next to each other in San Francisco and could do this not any time, but a lot of times, is you just gave a talk, um, a very important talk, as you scale the organization. And I want you to start with the, the story. We did a blog post on this. You gave the talk at the event about growing the company from zero people to now almost 550 people. It's been 16 years. Uh, we'll do somewhere like 130 to $140 million in revenue this year. But as you sort of got up over that $100 million mark, it's a very sort of important uh, plateau. And you wanted to make sure we didn't get stuck at that plateau like some companies do. So talk a little bit about the journey, which I think started back in your agency days, Genentech, what led you to create the firm. And then I'd like to dive into the talk, which is the seven effective habits are, are uh, you know, traits of effective workers, and we can go through those, and uh, and then we'll do our regular podcast thing about who influences you and the album and all that good stuff. Well, thanks for the opportunity to do it. Um, I've enjoyed the series so far. We've had some great folks who you know stepped up to the plate to do this. So I feel um, like I'm in great company. Um, you know, when I think about starting the firm, you know, 16 years ago, what I did not know was how it was going to turn out so far, and I think really important to think about um, even today was that when I set out, I was probably still searching, looking for my next thing after having done corporate for several years, but one major thing I had observed in corporate life that I didn't observe in agency life was, you know, that, you know, there were a lot of business problems that I got closer to that I realized agencies could help uh, solve for companies or at least be partners in solving. And the agencies we were coming across were really doing just what I called agentry work, um, press agentry work in, in many ways, instead of really digging in deeper to the, the problem they were solving. And so Eventually, as I was looking around and doing some consulting after the last corporate job I had, I realized, oh, you know, maybe I can take this, the contacts I have, the experience I have out first spin and try consulting for a little bit. And I did that. And what I found was a lot more people were coming to me, had appreciated the work I'd done on the corporate side for them, since I did treat it very much in a very service-oriented way when I was inside a company. And... I ended up with a lot of clients, a lot of things that, um, you know, more and more business and just doing stuff that big agencies were doing probably a little bit more efficiently, a little bit more um, importantly supporting their business more directly. So I figured I could scale that. 
uh, if I added additional senior talent. So in the early days, we were really a band of mostly senior affiliated talents that went in and could do the work of, you know, 50, well, not quite 50, people might have done on an account um, and get things done faster and more efficiently. Again, not a new model in consulting necessarily, but as we've evolved the firm and you've been with me for a long time, um, I had a mindset of following the data and what we got from our clients was a lot of great market research data. Eventually, as time has gone on, social media and online data that can guide us to be more precise and direct, and that's how we've evolved the firm. But in those early years, really, I simply thought I could do it better. Um, there was a better way to do what uh, many of us have been trying to do for many years from the inside out. So I was really trying to create a firm that I wanted to hire. So that's good context. I think one of the questions I've never really asked you that I'm sure a lot of people both inside and outside the company would love to know are what are some of those key milestones? Obviously we experienced one last year when we made some fairly big mm -hmm. moves, some acquisitions, recently hired a chief people officer, which I think was a big one. But over the past 16 years, what were the three things, four things where you're like, I can look back and see that that was a, ch a shift, you know, a sea change in the company? Well, I think the environment changed and clients wanted different things. So that was number one. And I always emphasize the fact that we've grown the firm based on client need. We haven't added services or products or capabilities unless clients have asked for them in general mass. So as clients kept asking, I kept adding because I wanted to be able to continue the partnership. I think I was at many times probably at risk at, of losing it. And we did lose some things because we couldn't be more global or, you know, communicate in multiple languages or do certain types of work that they wanted. So we've continued to evolve that. I think that most of the ch things that happened along the way um, were bringing in terrific people. And I enabled that, I think, in large part because I took my name off the door at a certain point, you know, going from Weisscom Partners, making it less about myself and about... Um, what I did and more about what my teams did, what we were capable of doing as a group. So uh, that was a big uh, sea change. And then, you know, I think adding some digital capabilities and social capabilities along the way was dramatic. And we kept investing in that along the way. And then, uh, you know, I'd say uh, opening certain offices had exponential impact like New York. I mean, that would har be hard to say that that wasn't a big deal and opening in London and, and putting a, a real footprint down in there also evolved our capability. Um, hiring of Bob Pearson, Jennifer Gottlieb, um, in the past, Diane Weiser and Paul Dyer, who's no longer with us. The others, have, many have become clients. Hala Mirza, who's at Regeneron. There are many some uh, people who've come in here and made a major impact. So I've always said it's great people, great work that helps the firm grow. That's still the tenant. That's still the basis. And that probably won't change all that much. So you do take culture very seriously. And I've noticed that in the last six years, uh, we have a unique culture. I think it's what makes companies that thrive survive. You have a unique background in the sense that I think you refer to the fact that you are the president of your um, uh, student council. You were the rush chair when you were in, in uh, at Syracuse. Um, as we've evolved, 
you took the time recently to sit down and codify some of the traits that you're looking for. And I think you probably looked for some of them in the past going forward as we do scale, especially among leaders, I think we need more of those seven traits. And I would love to walk through those. And what I'm going to do is just I'm going to tee them up because we don't have a visual cue in front of us. And there's sort of like a one phrase. And as we do that, I'd love you to dig down because the phrases themselves are good, but to sort of understand what they mean, I think is really powerful. I know I helped you create some of the visuals for the slides you used today, and that really helped me understand. They were good, you, by oh, the thank way. You. Yeah, well, we should include those. Yeah, we can, we can definitely link yeah, to those that. Are good. So the first one, which I was skeptical at first, and then the more I thought about it, the more I really loved it. And it was reinforced at this event, which is fear is a motivator. Right. And the visual we showed was someone swimming with white, great white sharks. Right. So talk about why well, it's counterintuitive, right? Because you think fear is the thing that paralyzes you. But fear, um, like, you know, people that jump in with sharks probably do have some level of fear with sensibility. I think it's fear and almost not being afraid of that fear. So embracing your fear and doing something because you're afraid of it. Um, it's like, you know, they often say, you know, conquer your fears and that helps you feel more powerful and confident. I think the other nuance to this was I've had people join here because they wanted to be scared again. They were at either corporate or larger agency Gary Grates, I think you referenced. Right, he interview. was coming from a larger agency where he had done very well and was very well respected. But, you know, at some point, you almost don't get noticed anymore. You have your book of business. A company is growing anyway. And what ends up happening is that, you know, people get comfortable. And this concept of not being waking up and having some level of healthy anxiety, hey, I got to accomplish something today, either for my client or for the company um, or for both. And I think that really is what that connotes. Yeah, no, that's true. And I, I do like that a lot. The next one, I think you said to me, maybe the first day that I joined the company, yes means yes. And, and I think people get that at first blush, but I would love for you to drill down on that because I think you take that more seriously than just the words. It's really sort of the intent and the meaning behind that. A lot of people ask me, you know, what's the key and secret to the success of the firm and your continued growth? And I've always said, I've done what I said I'm going to do. And I think at the end of the day, that's all that is. It's, it's, it's deep-seated character and integrity that when a person says yes, you know you can take that to the bank um, and you follow through you do. now I wrote a whole blog piece on this and people you know at the company probably saw it I mean look we're only a team is only as strong as its weakest link if somebody does not come through you know somebody else has to pick up the slack so the point is yes has to mean yes you have to be true to your word and you have to make it um, work for the team so that is really what yes means yes is. It's not, you know, this has been taught in Little League from years way back when, and it really isn't any different now. So the next one is um, you choose to be in and always seize the moment. And I thought you'd appreciate this visual that I created, which was Draymond Green, Golden State Warriors, heart and soul of the team. And the picture was him sort of finishing a dunk and kind of hanging on the rim, and it's like that quintessential Draymond Green who would run through a wall for that team. So talk a little bit about that. Well, trip. it's this concept of, you know, you want people on your team that you're not having to cajole into doing what they're doing. And I, I think the biggest thing is they're coming in and making a difference, motivating others, um, inspiring others with their selfless dedication to excellence and 
going through it. So I thought Draymond Green was a great visual because he is that kind of person on a team that almost pushes everybody else to reach for something inside themselves that, um, you know, if you're going to be there, right, don't be there. And we have another analogy we often use. Don't be there observing the situation with your popcorn and candy and, you know, movie sodas. Like what we're doing here is something we're doing together. Get in, dive in head first and, you know, help solve the problem. Roll up your sleeves and make it happen. Um, deal with it. Many of our um, cultural tenants really come out of this specific point. So the next one is maybe my favorite. I think Gary's said it was his favorite as well. And it's something that I'm a big believer in, which is pick up the trash. And you, you take this seriously, both literally and, you know, you said it's really uh, an analogy for how you treat the company, right? And the fact that there are people that will walk by the piece of paper on the floor, you know, tell us more about this one that I know you do take seriously. Well, I mean, to me, it speaks to ownership, really. You know, the ownership and the collective of feeling you know, responsibility um, to for both yourself and your environment. But, you know, I often used to say going into our bathrooms, you know, why aren't people cleaning up after themselves and having the respect both for themselves and the next person? Um, you know, it's not that hard to do it. But I think more critically in this case is if there's a problem, right, whether it's a client's problem or a problem within the company, rather than to, again, observe it, and make a comment about it, I think what makes for better results is just diving in and, and looking to fix it or finding a way to fix it. And not that everyone has to fix everything themselves, but they can raise it and bring solutions to the table. So this is said many ways in many companies, but at the end of the day, it is and speaks to, you know, real ownership that isn't necessarily anointed through a salary or some other way. Yeah, and I think the thing that I like the most about it is you don't say this in it, but it's almost it's doing it when no one else is looking as well, right? It's the take care of the problems, not because you want to be the star or shining. You take care of the problems because it's the right thing to do. And as an owner, and you know this from 16 years of doing this, that's what you've learned to do. And it's almost like why wouldn't anyone take care of these things? Like if you care right. about where you work and who you that's work it. with. Yeah. It's simple enough. It's like, you know, if you don't, again, respect yourself and your co-workers enough you won't pick up that paper um and if you do you will and it's my goal to make sure that most the vast majority of people in the company are doing that or feel they want to and if they don't want to they shouldn't be here um so we have three more uh the next one is thrive in ambiguity and this is one i think a lot of people you know a lot of people at a lot of different places have to deal with ambiguity and it's more pronounced now in this fragmented digital, you know, world that we live in, multimedia, you know, our kids are sort of disrupting us. Um, what is your message to the org in terms of this concept of thriving in ambiguity? Well, I mean, I, I actually see multiple meanings in it. I mean, I think part of it is on us to create less ambiguity as we scale. So people have a clearer, so people have a clearer picture and view of where we're going. It's my job to ensure that the company, um, has a vision, that we have a basic direction, that we have a framework within which we would work. But after that, there tends to be in entrepreneurial people a greater tolerance for situations where things are not as certain. So a boss leaves or someone on the team gets sick or something happens on the client side that's unexpected. Um, 
dealing with those unexpected or not as clear situations um, is really critical. It's how we deal with it as well. So the, the concept that when you've got ambiguity, communicators like many of us are, our profession, is, can be almost heroic in many cases coming in to create clarity where there is ambiguity. And I do think that's another important trait of the entrepreneur, but particularly the entrepreneur in a communications industry. Right. So this will be interesting because juxtaposed with one of the earlier tenants, yes means yes. We're saying no is never no. Um, very different meanings, but talk a little bit about this concept of not really letting there be a barrier or a wall to the problem you're trying to solve. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not even a juxtaposition on yes means yes. It's basically not accepting no for an answer. And, you know, this isn't something you haven't heard. It's perseverance and relentlessness, and it's all these, and in all cases, pretty positive. If someone blows up the wall and does residual damage, collateral damage, that's not good, right? That's the no assholes rule in view. The point is, let's get around the wall or over the wall, not back-channeling, not politicizing, but deciding that, okay, somebody told me no, that means in many ways yes. So to the typical entrepreneur, we could almost say that is no means yes, because um, that's another motivator. You tell me no, and I'm going to find a way to do it. But the real important point here is it's got to be constructive, and it's got to be positive in order to, in a business setting, in almost really any setting, um, and that's what that one means at the heart. Yeah, of it. no, and it was good, especially since we have had some military folks here. And oh, right. I yeah, think, very know. inspirational today. Um, last one, you're never done. And this is an interesting one. I'll just give you a little anecdote. So in looking for this one, I really sort of dug deep. There's a cathedral that's in Spain that's been being built for 300 years. I thought about that as a metaphor. Um, I thought about a bunch of different metaphors. And then one of the things that clicked with me was the sort of subtext that you wrote, which is, it's that person that's like staying late. They're never shutting, you know, they're not, you know, they're the last one to shut their laptops, the last one to get off their phone. But it's sort of that digging down deep and, you know, talk a little bit about that because I think that's something that we really have built as a culture and it's not stay here to stay late. It's a no. stay here because you want to stay to be with the people to get the client work done. Mm -hmm. And follow through and get it done and deliver a good product. I, I think it also has a meaning which is, you know, you're never really done with this journey or or making the business as good as it can be, right? We always, everything can be better, and I don't think you find any elite high-performance team of any type that thinks they're ever there or perfectly um, capable, and we're just going to keep, that's why I keep adding capabilities, and that's why we keep striving to be better operationally and um, executionally all the time. But I did have a boss that used to say to me um, and remind me, you know, the minute you think you've arrived, you might as well leave. And that was something that my mom also used to say quite a bit, among other very smart people um, who inspired me that really you can't think you've arrived. You know, that is probably the death knell in an entrepreneurial environment because there's nothing left to change, improve, or do. And that's why I like the analogy of the church because as long as it doesn't become one of those ugly sort of houses with all the additions, if it makes sense and the architectural additions add beauty or it becomes a more interesting mosaic, then I think we're winning. If it's a hodgepodge, again, you got to do all this stuff within a frame. 
And I like to say that in the past, I was working in a frame that was a little more Jackson, no frame, Jackson Pollock, um, you know, splashes of paint all over the place. Now we have a frame. We're working maybe with a more fauve canvas. It's wild beast colors from that early turn of the century that, that Matisse and Duran were known for. But we're, we've got some frame, right? And we can evolve that and try different styles along the way, as these artists often did, um, within the framework that will be disruptive, but disruptive in a productive way for our clients. So as we transition before we do, I do want people to know that um, there was a periscope of this talk as a blog post and some slide share slides that just depict the visuals. We will link to them in the podcast, but you can dig a little bit deeper. Um, Gary and Jim did a, a little bit longer sort of version of this, and I think it's worth definitely checking out. Um, we do a couple of things at the end of the podcast with all the different guests, and one is to build the library, the other is to have a little fun. I like to always ask, who's influencing the influencer, right? And part of that is, is there a business book that you've read recently or over the course of the last few years, and or is there someone that inspires you, or it's like, this is someone that you know, I've really learned a tremendous amount from, and it comes anywhere from parents, uncles, colleagues, bosses, uh, authors that have you know, read books, so. I learn a tremendous amount from the people I work with. I have to be honest. I mean, you know, from yourself to Bob and Jen and, you know, my whole leadership team, I'm fortunate that people do speak with me pretty honestly. And, and I do want to encourage that to continue. Um, that's always helped improve the firm. But I also think, you know, it's some of the same people that are in my head all the time, you know, from my past, like my mom and my grandfather and my professor from Syracuse and my first bosses at Hill and Knowlton and at Genentech and some of the great people that I've been lucky enough to have as mentors along the way, um, you know, like Dick Brewer at Sios, among others. So all that's been important. Um, but I also look to, you know, I've said this and it's not always the best analogy and it doesn't always work for everyone on our team, but these sports teams are inspiring, right? And in terms of how they've gone from losing seasons to becoming winners. And I look at a lot of that. I, also, I thought the Giants going from 2010 to three World Series, there's a lot to learn from that. There's a lot to learn from the Chicago Cubs turnaround. There's a lot to learn from the Warriors and how they you know, create consistent excellence or even the Cavaliers, God forbid. Um, but the Shut your ears, Chuck Keeman, for that Chuck one. Um, but I think the point is a lot of people, I think, give a lot of credit to their, these individual guys like Steph Curry or um, LeBron James, and it's very important to have those really good players. But you even said it. There have been teams like you know Boston and the Yankees and even um, the Dodgers and others have great talent, but culturally and you know character-wise don't have that winning streak. So I think there was a 60 Minutes piece I've been pointing out from this past week where the Chicago Cubs manager and owner were talking about how they got where they got last season. And so much is related to character. So much is related to attitude. And that's been coming out quite a bit in the discussions we've had. Um, so I'd say it's, it's a lot of those types of people. I mean, uh, Steve Kerr, who's probably having a lot of influence on his team, even though he's sitting in dramatic pain from his back surgeries, that and he won't be back more than likely for the finals. Um, but you know, people like that who just are really smart leaders that lead by example, calmly, smartly, are the people I've been looking to. 
great examples. So thank you for sharing that. Um, the last question I'm dying to know the answer to because you know we ask everyone, Desert Island, you have one album you can listen to. I know you're a huge, you know, Grateful Dead fan. So my immediate assumption was that, and I even said, you know, if there was a show or a tape that you wanted to pick, you said I would be surprised at who you picked. So now I'm realizing maybe it wasn't the Grateful Dead. So who would you pick? Yeah, I mean, I mean, why? you'd be surprised. No, none of the people that know me would, you know, it'd probably be Madonna and the Immaculate Collection. Um, and, you know, I often say that, you know, I have the sort of, odd eclectic music taste but at the end of the day i have the tastes of a 12 year old girl so i really haven't changed all that much in many ways um and uh that's just one that i think would keep me upbeat with the positive attitude you know it, it, there's a lot about survivorship and you know surviving in that there's not it, you know she at least in those earlier years there's not a lot of depression or it's all about reinvention i often call myself the madonna of pr um, in terms of constantly that reinvention. So I think that would probably be the album. Well, I love it. And never would have guessed that. I do know that you have a fun musical taste. You sort of have a mix of stuff that you've listened to in the past, stuff your kids listen to, stuff you listen to on the radio. Um, so you do really have a nice broad Well, set. I do, and I, a lot of it's current. And it's, it speaks to one of my tenants around this entrepreneurialism. I have a great fear of becoming obsolete. And I like to stay somewhat current and knowing which is why I am I saw a recent stat that a lot of CEOs are not on social media still I have been thanks to your encouragement I think it keeps you engaged and aware in a way that I think will be important going forward and keeps us and will help to keep us I think on a on a certain edge yeah I couldn't agree more and it's a nice way to connect with your kids as well so no doubt um Thank you, Jim. So this is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O Group, host of the What to Know podcast. I had the luxury of sitting down with my CEO, Jim Weiss, uh, also the founder and chairman. Um, and now you have the luxury of going on a flight six hours I have the luxury of jumping on a flight. 737 for, that should not be flown exactly. at this um, distance. But I, I will do a, a final thank you because it's been great. Bob Grubb had us you know, as the co-chair of the National Summit on Strategic Communications. We captured a lot of great podcasts, but this is a perfect way to cap it off. So thank great. you, Great, thanks. Want more episodes of the What to Know podcast? We post a new episode every Thursday. Check them out on iTunes, the podcast app, and the podcast page at w2ogroup.com backslash what to know.